On Thursday, I did a, a funeral for Tom Jones's grandma, Irene Buchanan, and um, she was 96 and lived an amazing life and uh, was loved by many people. And one of the things that definitely came through in my um, talking to other people who knew her really well was how uh, much she was focused on other people in a in a good way. Like, she wasn't just sort of, uh, you know, deflecting from people getting to know her. She actually was genuinely interested in other people and what was going on in their life. And one lady said to me that on the, on the day that Irene's husband had died, which was about 10 years ago, that she'd rung her up and was asking her how she was going. Like, and she didn't even seem to be... Um, asking for, for, for sympathy, which she was in a total right to do, but she was genuinely caring for other people um, in the midst of her own grief. And the thing is, uh, you know, when, when we die and people do eulogies for us, we want to have stories like that about ourselves, don't we? Um, you can think of um, virtues in two ways. The, vir- the virtues, the, the things that we, we can do to try and do good in our life, Um, We can think of career virtues and we can think of um, eulogy virtues. And they're quite different, aren't they? Career virtues are when you go for a job and you say, oh, look how good I am. You know, I've had all this experience and I'm good at using computers and I know how to um, do public speaking or whatever it is. And you list all the things that you've done in your career and... uh, they go, well, you can have your job. But, they don't, but when you die and people do your eulogy, they don't care about those things. They, you don't have a, you know, a funeral and they say, well, they were really good at mic- uh, Microsoft PowerPoint. And uh, you know, people aren't interested in that because they're the things, uh, those things aren't eternal. Those things don't really matter in the a, in a long term. Well, today we're talking about um, the third in our um, character traits of being a Christian, uh, the discipleship journey. And the, the, the walk is from today, from self to others from self to others, where when I talk about self, I'm talking about being self-focused, self-centred to being other person-focused and other person-centred. The um, famous reformer John Calvin said that the human heart is a, um, a factory of idols and continually produces more and more things for us to worship other than God. Um, and this is what I think causes us to become self-obsessed, Uh, It's what turns us into human beings that just want to take care of number one. Uh, Our highest priorities in Australia seem to be personal comfort, luxury, uh, saving to spend for yourself. I often hear myself say and my friends say, I just want more me time. It's not just that we want to have our almond three-quarter length latte, medium strength, lukewarm, not too hot. It's not just that we're that bespoke about our coffee, but we are, even as Christians, about our church. We want a community group with people that I, I like and that I can get along with and maybe can form you know, lifelong friends, friendships with. I don't really want people in my community group that are going to cause me trouble um, and I want it to be on a night that works for me and I also want it to, um, them to use their time in that group in a way that I like um, uh, and 
I also want them to be okay if I just don't rock up that night, uh, you know, because I might have something else to do, you know. So we can do it with church. We can be um, self-centred even as Christians about our own community. It's very hard not to be, but the transition we need to make is from self to other. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Two weeks ago, we talked about moving from death to life. Then we talked about moving from shame to acceptance, not having our identity overrun by our shame, but having it um, determined by our status as children of God, accepted by God. And this morning, we're looking at moving from self to others. I I want us all to be able to say something like this. I am not the most important person in the world. Rather... I know that I am part of a bigger story which includes other people and has God as the lead character. When I sacrificially and humbly love and serve others in God, when I die to myself, I truly find life. So let's turn to Matthew uh, 16, the the first reading that Angus read out. Um, It says in Matthew 16, verse 24, these very, very famous words from Jesus' mouth. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what I'm going to say to you this morning is this. If you want to work out what it means to move from self to others, get the concept of carrying your cross right. Get it clear in your head, and that transition from self to others will just come naturally. And by the way, when Jesus says, just, I just want to clear this before we get into looking at the passage, when he says about carrying your cross and come and follow me, he's actually not talking about um, making sure that you've got some difficulty in your life uh, because this phrase has become sanitised in the English language, hasn't it? I've got a bit of a cross to bear, that's my cross. You might hear people say, uh, my husband snores like a tractor, that's my cross to bear. Or... Yep, I'm lactose intolerant. That's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all here. So you just got to get that out of your head. I've actually got six things that I've, I've worked out, I think, that helps us to understand what it means for us to carry our cross. First of all, it's about wisdom. Jesus explains to his disciples that he must do the ultimate other person-centered act, which is to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and be killed at the hands of the leaders in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And the disciples, especially Peter, they're devastated. He he cannot understand it. He thinks Jesus has gone crazy. Jesus is certain about all of this, though. He says, I must go. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. He must go because Jesus understands and he teaches them that he is the suffering servant. He's the one... Uh, that is talked about in Psalm 22, in Psalm 69, in Zechariah 9, chapter 9 and 14, in Isaiah 52 and 53, that is who Jesus is. And the train has left the station. He's living and he's fulfilling all of these prophecies. Uh, later on, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is his plan, and he knows it's all going to happen. It's all unfolding. He does conclude, though, by saying... Um, He's going to be raised again three days later on the third day. 
In fact, there are three other times, or there's three times in total when in the Gospel of Matthew where he predicts his own death, and each time he says the same thing. And who knows what the disciples thought Jesus meant? They probably thought he was talking metaphorically or it was a parable or that he was having, going to have some kind of spiritual victory. But they didn't really think he'd come alive again. So Peter responds, just as you or I would have probably responded, by rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, he says. Surely this is not going to happen, verse 22. And so this is Peter's human, short-sighted um, foolishness. Can you imagine rebuking the Son of God? Can you imagine doing that? The, the word that's used for rebuke is the same word that's used for Jesus when he rebukes the wind and the waves or rebukes the demon out of the person. Peter is speaking with this kind of force. So the temperature of the conversation rises and Jesus counter-rebukes. Get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter is instantly wounded in his heart. This is his friend, his close friend. Jesus was his Lord and he loved Jesus and now Jesus just calls him Satan. Ouch. Peter is essentially standing in the way of Jesus, uh, Jesus carrying his own cross. So, so he tells Peter to stand aside because he's doing the devil's work. For Jesus to carry his cross meant to follow the wisdom of God, not the foolishness of people. And the same thing goes for us. You're going to think at different times in your life, why am I bothering being Christian? You're going to think, this is not helping me at work, being a Christian. It's actually holding me back. You're going to think, I feel like I'm missing out on life. You're going to think, people think I'm a religious nut. You're going to think, my family think I'm weird. That's when you've got to tell yourself, no, this is God's wisdom. Following Jesus is God's wisdom. Carrying my cross is God's wisdom. When you're trying to make a decision in your life, how to use your money, how to use your time, how to use your career path to pursue, uh, what career to, to, to pursue, uh, who to have a relationship with, ask yourself, do I have in mind the concerns of God or merely human concerns? To use Jesus' words. You can't carry your cross if all you have in mind are human concerns. Carrying your cross is about following the wisdom of God. And second, secondly, it's actually about martyrdom. Literally. At the most, at least it's about martyrdom. At the most. Jesus says in verse 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus is not just talking about his own death. He's actually talking about the potential death of the disciples too. So you've got to get inside Peter's head for a minute. He's like, you know, the, the sort of unofficial leader of the, of the disciples. And he's hearing Jesus say, I'm about to go uh, and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter's thinking, well, hang on, we're your disciples. That means that we might actually suffer and die too because you're our leader. And so he's actually worried about his own execution. And Jesus is actually saying that at the most, to be a follower of me, you are signing up to being martyred, at the most. Uh, and he knows that some of his, his disciples will be killed as a result of following him. The cost is that high. 
And there is an expectation then for what he's saying from the disciples that maybe, uh, you know, their death is, is, is going to happen soon as well. But what Jesus is doing, he's contrasting true and lasting life with temporary physical life. Now, I hope that none, nobody in this room ever gets killed for your faith. I hope that doesn't happen, and I hope it doesn't happen to me. And so you think to yourself in Melbourne, because we're not living in a country where we're persecuted for our faith, you think, how, how, do, how do I even make sense of a, of a thing like this, of what Jesus is saying? Well, just see it this way. Jesus is that serious about what it means to follow him. We've got to take it that seriously. We've got to see that it could come a day where we might have to die for our faith, even though we can't conceive of it. So secondly, it's about martyrdom. But thirdly, at the other extreme, you could say, at the least, it's about self-denial. So if at the most it's about martyrdom, at the least it's about self-denial. Jesus is talking about disassociating yourself from your own concerns, your own interests, which in this case means risking your own life, is what he's saying to the disciples. It means putting loyalty to Jesus before self-preservation. For the people listening at the time, they would have taken him at face value and understood that they might have to die on a Roman cross even as a consequence of following him. And that carried a stigma, a social stigma of shame. It's savage. And, and Jesus is going to go through with it. And he's saying, follow behind me. So if you're going to follow behind Jesus and be his disciple, then that's going to be mean, at, least, at the least, putting aside your own concerns. Of course, when the time comes for Jesus to actually go on the cross, we read that there are no disciples around to actually lift the cross for him. Uh, there and a stranger has to do it. And I ask you, is your life categorised by self-denial or self-protection? Is it self-denial or self-preservation? Is it self-denial or self-gratification? Self-denial is the most basic part of carrying your cross because your inclination will be to be self-centred. There's this kind of guru American writer and academic David Foster Wallace who said this in a lecture at Kenyon College in 2005. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute centre of the universe, the realest, most vivid and important person in existence. We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. It is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There is no experience you've had that you are not the absolute centre of. The world, as you experience it, is there in front of you or behind you, to the left or right of you, on your TV, on your monitor, and so on. Other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, and real. See, self-centeredness actually leads to this kind of selfishness the desire to see other people as means to get uh, things for yourself. And what Dave Foster Wallace is saying is it just comes naturally because this is how we experience life, as us at the centre. It also leads to pride, the desire to see yourself as superior. It leads 
you to a capacity to ignore and rationalize your own imperfections to, inf to inflate your virtues. You think of yourself as much better than everyone else. And there's a real danger for us as Christians as we think about moving from self to others, as we think about carrying our cross. And that is that we can easily, really quickly, become judgmental of others who do not carry as heavy a cross as you do. You sometimes look around other Christians and you think, they're not as serious about their faith as I am. I carry a much bigger cross than they do. I pray more. I give more financially. I am more serious about the Bible. But the thing is, you can't do that. For a start, you are not, not that good. You're not. Um, and also, you don't really know what other people are doing in their life. For example, when, when people can't commit to things at church as much as you can, perhaps it's because they have heavy burdens to carry in their family that you're just not aware of. Don't think you know everything about everyone. Perhaps they are quietly suffering from some serious physical or mental illness that you're not aware of. Don't judge others. Carrying your cross means keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's following him and it's not looking around, comparing yourself to others along the way. Last year, um, a great Australian saint died. His name was Alex Crawford and I knew him and I knew his kids a lot better. Alex was a barrister uh, based in Brisbane and he was a passionate Christian. He, he'd studied a little bit at, at Ridley. I think he did a degree at Ridley back in the 80s. But he was a living example of self-denial. And uh, it all came through. He died suddenly um, in the middle of Anglican Synod in Brisbane. He literally had a heart attack and was gone. And he was only in his mid-60s. And this is what was said at his funeral by my friend Adam, who was preached at the funeral. He said this, Alex was generous continuously giving selflessly of his time, energy and resources, famously writing to people, giving books, sending articles by post. He was the driving force behind the Matthew Hale Public Library. He lovingly and intentionally encouraged people wherever he went. Alex was humble, never seeking the spotlight and always taking the lowest place. He always seemed much more interested in other people than himself. It's not that he thought of himself as lesser, but simply thought of himself less. Alex was joyful. He would, never, he, would, he would be forever telling jokes and recounting stories. And at any moment, he would become louder and erupt into tear-filled laughter. I remember many occasions of the family rolling their eyes, but still brimming from ear to ear. And Alex was determined, tenacious, yet gentle in his dogged pursuit of a goal. And he managed to do that not only in small tasks, but in long-term endeavours. He had a clarity of mind regarding the purpose of his life and he never gave up. Um, this is Adam talking now. I remember one night Alex called me at about 9pm because he had a document that he needed me to sign and I was going to see him for breakfast the next morning. So, so I suggested that perhaps I could just sign it then in the morning to save him a trip around to our place. And he said, sounds great and we finished the call. As I hung up the phone, I turned to my wife and said, Alex will be here in about five minutes. And sure enough, there he was, a knock on the door. And Alex was there, pen and document in hand. And he did this right up until the end of his life. This is self-denial. It's standing up the back. It's serving others. It's putting others forward. It's gentleness. It's humility. 
It's a beautiful thing, and this is how we truly find life. This is what it looks like to carry our cross. Fourthly, carrying our cross is about heaven. So the incentive for all of this is explained in verse 26 and 27. 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So verse 26, Jesus is referring back to his own temptation in the desert when Satan put all these things before him. Uh, someone who, who remains alive and then gets everything material that they want in this world, Jesus is saying is ultimately a loser. They are going to lose their soul. There is no good trade that you can make in exchange for your soul. Nothing else compares. Now, when you're playing poker, the ultimate risky move to make is to put everything in, you know, is to go all in. That's where you take all your chips and and you you just push it into the centre of the table. Uh, This means that you're betting everything that you have. If you lose a round, you're out. You're out, you've gone. But if you win the round, you, you win big time. Jesus says, to live for yourself is to foolishly go all in on a losing hand. On the other hand, to carry your cross is to wisely go all in on a winning hand. It's to bet everything on the wisdom of God, which is a guaranteed win. Jesus goes on, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The same Son of Man who will die in Jerusalem will one day return with his Father's glory and reward each person according to how they have lived their life. So even if they are arrested by the Roman military and thrown in prison, even if they are tortured and killed, even then they have something better to look forward to, which is an eternal and glorious reward. From the Son of Man. So, fifthly, it's about perseverance. Carrying your cross is about perseverance. So, let's think a bit more about what Jesus is saying when he says he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus is not saying that there's going to be a score sheet and it's like an enter score, you know, out of 100, you've got um, 62 or 37. Bad luck, out you go. It's not going to be like that. Jesus is narrowly focused on you as a whole. Are you a person who has stuck with Jesus in the face of suffering? Or are you a person who has abandoned Jesus in the face of suffering? It's possible to read the Gospel of Matthew and start to get the wrong impression that Jesus is keeping a scorecard on you. Um, There's an ancient Christian heresy called Pelagianism, which comes from the 4th century British theologian called Pelagius who and he sort of basically argued to summarize it that human beings are essentially good and can do good works and impress God into heaven and Pelagianism even though it was so ancient it's still around to this day it's kind of a form of new age humanism we see Um, and it doesn't really believe that human beings are that bad later on in Matthew 25 um, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats and again we can get can start to believe this Pelagianism if we listen to that parable that, you know, if we're good enough, then we'll be a sheep. If we're not good enough, if we're below 50 out of 100, we'll, we'll be a goat. And this is where we need to read the Gospel of Matthew in the context of the whole Bible and see that in these few verses, Matthew's not trying to tell us everything and Jesus is not trying to tell us everything. Um, it, it's not that Jesus is going to look at our scorecard. All he's interested in is... Were you with me or were you not with me? Did you have faith in me or not? Did you put your trust in me or not? 
When Jesus returns in his Father's glory with his angels, he will record, uh, reward you according to what you have done, but luckily he won't be tallying up a score. He will simply be looking at your life as a whole. Is there evidence for your faith? Did you carry your cross? Did you stay with Jesus or not? If you want to go into maturity as a Christian, move on from sitting on the fence, move on from wavering in and out of faith, go all in with your poker chips, carry your cross right until the end of your life and keep going right up until you die. And the sixth thing I want to say about carrying a cross is that it's urgent. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, he says in verse 28. It's a convoluted sentence. Jesus is talking in mumbo-jumbo. I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It's like, what's he actually talking about? And uh, Christians have sort of wondered about this for a long time, and we would think that probably he's, he's talking about some of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who saw him in the transfiguration when he started to glow up on the mountain and spoke to Elijah and Moses, and there was some kind of glory that he's talking about there. But the point of it is all this. Jesus is saying, it's all happening. Uh, in a few days, there's going to be the transfiguration, then it's I'm going to be put on the cross, and so hurry up and make a decision now. You heard, would have heard Rob say about you know, what the purpose is at Christian Union at Melbourne Uni is to say now is a good time to make the decision now. While you're at uni, you've got a couple of years, make the decision. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Jesus is saying to the 12, make your decision now. This is all urgent. And Peter eventually got all this. He writes in 2 Peter 1 verse 16 to 18, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with, with him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter got it all, eventually, later on. So Jesus saying in this context points to the urgency of his disciples taking up their cross. And so we need to see that carrying our cross requires urgency too. So what is carrying your cross? It's about wisdom, God's wisdom. It's about at the most your martyrdom, at the least your self-denial. It's about um, the hope for heaven. It's about perseverance and it's about urgency. And we do this because this is the way God's made us. It's the best possible life that we can live. So can you see how if we're doing this, the transition from self to others will come naturally? If we did it, we'd all be part of the most exciting church in Melbourne. Our second reading was from Acts 2. And and that moment in the life of the church, uh, Jesus' literal physical death was fresh in their minds. The social and political pressure on them um, to not be a, a Jewish sect was heavy, and yet they lived selflessly and with passion. They trusted in the wisdom of God. They put all in. They practiced self-denial and put others' needs before their own. They looked forward to the promise of eternal life, and in doing so, their church had glimpses of heaven. And the whole book of Acts shows that they pushed forward and they kept doing this, and they grew even in the face of opposition. 
They didn't waste any time. There wasn't a slow build-up. It was carrying their cross straight away. So to finish, I just want us to think about ourselves. Carrying our cross, being other-focused, being God-focused with our whole life, with our time, with our money, with our possessions, with our home. I just was trying to think of some things quickly of what it can look look like at the really nitty-gritty. Think about Here's some ideas. For example, given everything I've just said, let's say you're invited to something at church by a person at church. Maybe you're invited to a community group or a social event or a camp or, or whatever. We've invite, invited you to lots of things. Somebody invites you to their home. If that happens, go. Come because of the person who's invited you, not because it meets your needs. It might not meet your needs. It might even inconvenience you. But it will build up the community. It will encourage others. Can you see how um, if you're carrying a cross, that will just come naturally to you? Carrying your cross is about using your time to the benefit of your church community. It's about following Jesus together to the cross. If you're asked to do something at church at a certain time, don't, don't come like half an hour late. Coming late is saying, my time is worth more than everyone else's. People who are humble and sacrificial and other person focused come early to meetings. And you might not like that. You might think, oh, Peter, you're just... You're actually um, blurring personality traits with Christian discipleship. And I do think that there are some things you could say, like about that. You could say, yep, some people's personality types, are they find those things easier. But I do think that it's also a spiritual question. Because what you're saying is other people are not as important as me. If you've never had anyone go over to your home from church, then ask yourself why. Why why is people from church never come to your house? Perhaps it's middle-class shame that you have. Perhaps you are embarrassed about your house. Perhaps you think your apartment is too small or whatever. But also perhaps it's because you like your own space and you don't want anyone else to come inside. Try and invite someone from your church over. Maybe try it every month. It's hardly living the life of a martyr, is it? I mean, it's, we're not talking extremes here. But it's practicing in a daily way the concept of putting other people's needs before your own. It's about putting Christian friendship above me time. And be careful not to reverse this and start expecting everyone else at church to serve you. You know, you can sort of have this kind of weird thing, like you can say, oh, well, everyone at Mary Creek has to now be carrying their cross and I'm expecting to be invited to everyone's houses and that everyone's going to serve me and that at morning tea it's going to be the best cakes today. And, you know, that is to reverse this. This is about you thinking about your own life. Are you self-focused or other-focused? If you want our church to be a taste of heaven, which we do, then this is what you have to do. Follow Jesus and carry your cross Move from self to others. Be able to say this, I'm not the most important person in the world. Rather, I know that I am part of a bigger story which includes other people and has God as the lead character. And when I sacrificially and humbly love and serve others in God, when I die to myself, I truly find life. Let's pray for that. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, Jesus and that he was the ultimate other person-centered person.
and that he died on the cross for us and put our lives before his own. And we pray that we can live that way too, that we can follow him to the cross, that we can carry our cross and serve others, put our others' needs before our own. Amen.